This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 311. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network, which network is expanding once again. We'll talk about that here today. Welcome to the show. I'm pleased to have with me Rob Beckman, who's been on the podcast, oh gosh, uh, several times at least now. And uh, so pleased to have Mr. Beckman back again. What is up, sir? We're enjoying life and staying staying busy and such. And uh, my newest project is uh, I'm working on a instructor uh, focused podcast called the Firearm Trainer Podcast. So I, my hats off to you for everything that you've done through 311 episodes because I'm I'm at 11 episodes right now and uh, it's not as easy as you make it look. How's that? <laughs> that is true. It's uh, it is not easy. To- Put on a podcast and do it regularly and, and with commitment, right? Correct. Uh, now you're, you're stealing all the air out of the room because you know you, you just you just gave away all the all the beans. Uh, <laughs> I'm just teasing. <laughs> we already mentioned on the podcast last week that by the way, a new podcast coming, and we're going to have the host of that new podcast on our podcast. And the uh, Firearm Trainers Podcast is an extension. It is a part of what we call our concealedcarry.com network of shows. We've been advertising this network since like day one of the Concealed Carry podcast, knowing at some point we were going to expand beyond just the Concealed Carry podcast. And we added uh, last year, early last year, the Not Your Average Gun Girls podcast. So those that uh, have not heard of that one or listened to that show yet, especially if you're a lady shooter, you're going to want to check out the Not Your Average Gun Girls podcast. You can go to notyouraveragegungirls.com or is it notyouraveragegungirlspodcast.com or you can just search Not Your Average Gun Girls in your favorite podcast app and uh, you, you'll be able to find it. It's, it's, it'll show up. And we've got two wonderful hosts, uh, Amy and Emily, uh, that uh, host that show, and, and they do a great job. But uh, Rob has got his own show now, again, a, a part of the ConcealedCarry.com network, along with the Concealed Carry podcast. So that is the Firearm Trainers podcast, which is today's episode sponsor. Or Well, I have got one other sponsor I'm going to mention, but uh, folks... Uh, you might be thinking, well, I'm not a firearm trainer. I'm not a firearm instructor. But uh, I think there's still some value to this new podcast. And and there's value to, like, if we're all shooters, chances are we spend some time teaching somebody else how to shoot. Right, Rob? Right, exactly. Like, we're either teaching our kids, we're teaching family members, our spouses. uh, and, and, And sometimes that leads to people becoming instructors themselves. And maybe you've in the back of your mind somewhere, you're thinking, well, I've always thought about maybe becoming a, an instructor. So, well, start learning how to instruct now and listen to the Firearm Trainers podcast. Well, how's this angle, Riley? When you go along and think about you're going to the range and you're shooting, you're going and your shots aren't going where they should go. Are you going to go along, pack your gun right away and run to an instructor and, you know, and have them diagnose it right then and there? No. Hopefully your instructor has gone along in the class you've been and has actually given you, shown you how to do it properly. So you go down and look and say, hey, what's, how's my grip look? You know, okay, wait a minute. Let's, let's take a relook at the sights. Let's go along and, you know, take a deep breath and try that all over again because you don't come, you don't, you're not perfect when you leave a trainer. And at the same time, the trainer's doing their job the properly. They're teaching you how to do it properly so that you can self-diagnose when you're at the range, when you're you're doing it other times, which is, you know, part, part of the adult learning theory is yeah. making sure you learn how to do it. Yeah. That's good stuff, man. We're going to dive deep, uh, deeper still on some of that in today's episode as I talk with Rob about teaching people about firearms and shooting and uh, and. and Perhaps also we'll talk talk a little bit about uh, becoming an instructor for those that might have an interest in that. And, uh, you know, again, I, I, I think we all will probably at some point have the opportunity to, to share with somebody else or teach somebody else about shooting and uh, safe handling and manipulation and uh, all that, you know, relating to guns. And so this, this should be a good episode for you all. Um, the other uh, episode sponsor today is is concealedcarry.com holsters on our site. Uh, one thing that we're working towards is becoming a one-stop shop, kind of a uh, 
a destination store for holsters and more and more we keep adding more and more holsters other companies holsters we've got holsters from crossbreed from mission first tactical from uh, uh jm4 we've got holsters brave response of course we've been selling those for a long time now uh let's see alexo athletica um Mm-hmm. Lethal Lace. Uh, I feel like I'm missing more, but yeah, uh, I think we still got some. I think we got some products on there from Jacob. Will correct me and set me straight if I'm wrong. I feel like we added products from Stealth Gear. Uh, maybe. Okay. So anyway, we got a lot of holsters, and we're adding more and more to the site all the time. This week, all week, save fifteen percent off holsters on our site by using the coupon code Tax Day Fifteen. T A X D A Y one five. So go to concealedcarry.com, go to our store there, and uh, you can search by category, and you can pull up holsters, and anything in the, in the holster category, you'll save 15% by using that coupon code, TAXDAY15. So uh, that brings us to our next segment, actually, our really a first segment, which is Andrew Branca's Law of Self-Defense Case of the Week. So... This is a popular favorite uh, from podcast listeners, and uh, so I'm 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 always thrilled that Andrew is so kind and records these every week and shares it with us and allows and allows us, you know, and not just to use it. He's not just using it on his site and on his stuff, but he allows us to use it in our podcast as well. So we we appreciate him. So Andrew is probably commenting right now on Facebook. <laughs> I'm sure uh, I haven't really been monitoring comments uh, in, in the intro here, but. We are going to kick it off. So, folks, here we go. In three, two, one. Hey, folks, Attorney Andrew Branca here from Law and Self-Defense. There's a video of an apparent security guard being attacked by two young black men that's making the internet rounds, and I'm being asked of the guard pointing his gun at the two was a lawful threat of deadly defensive force on the one hand or a crime on the other. So here's that analysis as this week's Law of Self-Defense Case of the Week. Before we begin with the analysis, however, here's that video. Now, as I always tell folks, this kind of use of force analysis isn't rocket science. There's only five elements of a claim of self-defense, innocence, imminence, proportionality, avoidance, and reasonableness. Every element is required unless it's legally waived. And if any required element is missing, the claim of self-defense fails. Before we dig into these five elements, and a few of them we can cover very quickly, so we'll speed over those and then dive deep into the more important ones in this particular case, But before we do, I do want to urge those of you listening to this in podcast form to check out the text and video versions of this case of the week, as it includes both the original video and, of course, our video broadcast of this case of the week. For the element of innocence, we don't really know how the confrontation started, but for purposes of this discussion, I'm going to assume that the two young men were the initial aggressors rather than the guard. So check this element in favor of the guard. Imminence. A threat needs to be at least imminent, about to happen right now in order for defensive force to be justified, but a fight that's actually in progress clearly qualifies as well. Check this element in favor of the guard. Proportionality. The guard ended up threatening the two men with deadly force, his pistol, and generally speaking, the law requires that he have been facing a deadly force threat in order to be justified in using or threatening deadly defensive force. This, as well as the element of reasonableness, is one of the key elements of this case, so we'll cover proportionality in more depth in just a bit. 
In the context of the element of avoidance, even in the minority of states that impose a generalized legal duty to retreat before you can defend yourself, that duty is imposed only if a completely safe avenue of retreat is practically available. The nature and setting of this attack suggests that the guard had no practical means of completely safe retreat when he presented his handgun, so no legal duty to retreat would have applied even in a duty to retreat state. In most states, of course, about 36, there's no generalized legal duty to retreat before defending yourself against an unlawful attack. Regardless of the jurisdiction in this case, then, whether it's duty to retreat or stand your ground, we'll check this element of avoidance in favor of the guard. In terms of the element of reasonableness, as mentioned, this element, as well as proportionality, are the key issues of this case, so we'll cover them in more detail now. For the guard to be justified in using deadly defensive force, he must have reasonably perceived a deadly force threat against him. But what's that really mean? Well, in terms of a deadly force threat, we mean a threat readily capable of causing either death or serious bodily injury. Pretty straightforward. Or is it? In terms of reasonably perceived, the guard's perception of a deadly force threat must have been both subjectively held in good faith, which we'll assume for purposes of this discussion, as well as be objectively reasonable. But what's objectively reasonable mean? Objective reasonableness asks whether a hypothetical, reasonable, and prudent person would have shared the guard's presumed subjective perception of a deadly force attack. For such a perception to be objectively reasonable, it must be based on more than just speculation imagination, or what the law calls a bare fear, meaning an irrational fear. Instead, for a perception to be objectively reasonable, it must be based on the application of the powers of reason to actual evidence, observations, experiences, in the broader context of the totality of the circumstances of the guard's training and experience, and in consideration of the guard's naturally challenging job of making important, life-saving decisions quickly while fighting off an active attack. So, was there evidence from which this guard could objectively, reasonably infer that he was the subject of a deadly force rather than a merely non-deadly force attack? Indeed, there is. First, let's consider when a barehanded attack becomes deadly. Generally speaking, the law treats a barehanded attack as a non-deadly force attack unless there are aggravating circumstances that suggest the barehanded attack is likely to inflict death or serious bodily injury. Such aggravating circumstances could include whether the attacker is substantially larger or stronger than the defender, or the attacker possesses an exceptional fighting ability that the defender lacks. Now, none of those would appear to necessarily apply in this case. Other aggravating circumstances, however, do apply in this case. These include the disparity of numbers involved with two attackers upon a single defender. Another aggravating factor exists when the defender is substantially older than the attacker's. Those of us of a certain age are well aware that we're generally not quite as strong or fast as we were as when we were younger, and that we're also more vulnerable to meaningful injury than we were when we were younger. We don't bounce like we used to. Both the disparity of numbers and the apparently much younger attackers relative to the defender are consistent with an objectively reasonable perception of an attack likely to cause serious bodily injury and thus constitute a deadly force attack. Another consideration is when pepper spray, OC spray, becomes deadly force. Now, this attack did not remain a barehanded attack. The guard was carrying various defensive tools openly exposed on a utility belt, including a canister of OC or, or pepper spray in addition to his pistol. At one point in the attack, as he was being swarmed by both attackers, one of them stripped him of his OC spray and attempted to deploy the spray against the guard. In normal circumstances, we generally consider OC spray to be a non-deadly means of force, and it's routinely used for this purpose by both law enforcement and civilians to defend against a non-deadly force attack. Indeed, I personally carry OC as my primary means of non-deadly defensive force. OC as non-deadly force, however, rests on the presumption that it's used defensively. When used in such a manner, it's intended to neutralize an unlawful threat, after which the defender ceases their use of force on the person they sprayed. The context is entirely different, however, when OC is used offensively. 
In an offensive application, the OC is intended to debilitate the target's ability to defend itself against unlawful attack, presumably so further harm can be committed to the target and or to facilitate the user's ability to continue some other criminal act. A familiar offensive use of OC spray has been observed in some bank robberies. There, the robbers OC spray the bank's employees and customers in order to facilitate their robbery of the bank. When these robbers are captured and brought to trial, it's common for prosecutors to argue that in this offensive context, the pain and suffering caused by the OC spray to the bank's employees and customers qualifies as serious bodily injury. This argument justifies a much more serious charge of aggravated assault based on the use of a deadly force weapon than the much lesser charge of simple assault if the OC was considered merely a non-deadly force weapon. And this argument has been used successfully in federal prosecutions of bank robbers who use OC in this offensive manner. In this instance, of course, the OC spray seized by one attacker from the guard's belt is being used in an offensive, not a defensive manner in order to debilitate the guard's ability to defend himself and to facilitate the attacker's ability to continue their assault on the guard. This is arguably then a quote-unquote deadly force capable of causing serious bodily injury application of the OC spray. This attempted offensive use of the OC spray is therefore consistent with an objectively reasonable perception of an attack likely to cause serious bodily injury and thus constitutes a deadly force attack. Let's talk a moment about making reasonable inferences about what's likely to happen in the future based on what's already happening or has happened in the past. As we said, a speculative or imagined threat cannot be the basis for an objectively reasonable fear of a deadly force attack. So one can't merely presume that another person is going to attack in a particular way. Well, for all I know, he could have had a gun is not a legally sound basis for treating someone as if they actually had a gun. That said, the law does allow us to make reasonable inferences from observed evidence. So, for example, if a prospective attacker tells you he has a gun and then reaches for his waistband in a manner consistent with presenting a gun, it's reasonable to infer from that evidence that he's about to bring a gun into action and to defend yourself accordingly. It's not necessary that the defender wait until the muzzle of the attacker's gun is on them, nor necessarily even until the gun itself is visible. In this case, it's clear that if the attackers possessed a handgun, they would constitute a deadly force threat to the guard. The same holds true if they seized the gun of the guard himself. Indeed, it's worse, because then not only would the attackers have armed themselves with a gun, they would have simultaneously disarmed the guard. But does the guard have any evidence from which he can reasonably infer that the attackers intend to seize his gun, if possible? Certainly, the fact that they have already seized another of his defensive weapons, his OC spray. Now, strictly speaking, if someone, say, punches you once and stops, you have no grounds to use defensive force against them. The fight's over. To do so would be vengeance or retribution, not self-defense. That said, a pretty good basis from which to infer that a person is going to punch you a second time is that they punched you the first time, especially if they don't clearly and immediately cease their offensive conduct. It's reasonable to infer future conduct from demonstrated past conduct, especially where that conduct is ongoing. In this instance, a pretty good basis from which the guard could infer that the attackers would seize his gun if possible is that they had already seized his OC spray and they were continuing their offensive conduct. An attacker who's attempting to take your gun from you is arming himself with a gun no less than if he were reaching for a gun on a table. Indeed, it's already described it's worse than that because they're simultaneously disarming you. That clearly constitutes a deadly force threat. The guards presumed reasonable inference that the attackers were attempting to arm themselves with his gun is consistent with an objectively reasonable perception of an attack likely to cause serious bodily injury and thus constitutes a deadly force threat. There are then at least three grounds, the disparity of numbers, the offensive use of OC spray, and inferring future conduct from past and ongoing conduct from which the guard could objectively, reasonably perceive that he was the subject of a deadly force attack against which deadly defensive force would be legally justified and that his pointing of his handgun at the youth was therefore lawful conduct. In short, all the elements required to justify this guard's threat of deadly force have been met 
innocence, eminence, proportionality, avoidance, and reasonableness. It should also be noted, to the guard's credit, that he did not fire his handgun at the attackers as they fled. Such conduct would almost certainly have been unlawful by the guard, but not hard to imagine happening given the stress of the life-threatening attack the guard had just been subject to by the two attackers. To his credit, the guard kept his cool and ceased using force once the threat against him had been neutralized, just as the law requires. In closing, remember, you carry a gun so you're hard to kill, like this guard was hard to kill. Know the law so you're hard to convict. I'm attorney Andrew Branco at Law Self-Defense. Stay safe. And there you have it. Wow. Uh, I, I don't have anything more to add, Rob. Uh, uh, he, he did a great breakdown on the one thing um, I really love about Andrew is he can take something can be complicated and in less than five minutes, break it down to where it's like, yeah, it makes all the sense in the world of <laughs> how everything happened. And uh, it just makes it very simple and very short order. Yeah. Uh, now that was not less than five minutes this time. Okay. <laughs> that was one I of. I didn't crack it. <laughs> I just teasing. That was one of Andrew's longer uh, cases of of the week. But uh, you know, I, I kind of commented it here. Uh, uh, on, you know, as we were interacting with uh, viewers on Facebook, uh, you know, th- this is a great case to analyze because it's it's classic in that you have two attackers that, as far as we can tell, are not armed. They're just physically roughing this guy up, and uh, one of them manages to get a hold of his OC spray, and the other one's still fighting with him. And his, it, it, you know, as he's fighting with him, his hands are right there near his gun. Uh, you could tell at one point that security guard watching it, he goes, "Oh shiz, like this is not good." And he realizes too when they get a hold of his OC spray, and that's when his hand starts going. For, you know, he's trying to get to that gun, but he's at the same time trying to fend off this uh, other attacker, and. Uh, yeah, it's a high risk situation for sure. I mean, even in getting his gun and getting his gun out, still, you know, the, the threat is not quite totally over with there. I mean, there's there's always that possibility of that attacker grabbing and trying to take away that gun. But fortunately for him, he's able to stay with it, stay in the fight, get that gun out, and they go, This is not a fight we are willing to pursue any longer. So a great case and and you know, great one to analyze, and Andrew does a bang up job analyzing it. And and it shows you how close things could go one way or the other way. I mean, they could have gotten that guard down the ground with the OC spray and it could have ended differently at the same time. If he would have, if they wouldn't have broken off the attack when they did, it would have went the other way. The officer may have gone along and shot him and it shows you, I mean, it's just a split second. Somebody decides, Hey, not for me and yeah. walks away and great, great analysis by Andrew. Absolutely. Well, let's move along now. Uh, thank you uh, again, Andrew, for providing this week's case of the week. And folks, thanks for thanks for listening and appreciate uh, your participation as well, those on Facebook. And if you're not on Facebook viewing, that's okay too. I hope you enjoy even the uh, uh, the audio only version of the podcast, which is still our our primary focus. Speaking of which, there was the video that was shared, and uh, those listening only would not be able to see that. So, I will try to make sure I get the link for that video and share that in the show notes of today's episode. And you can find today's episode simply by, well, once the, this is published, uh, those listening, it, it, it will be published by that point. <laughs> but uh, you can go to concealedcarry.com forward slash episode 311, and uh, that'll get you to the, to the show notes. So you can find that link and view that video. It's not very long, uh, but sometimes it's good to be able to see those things for yourself and then combine that with the analysis as well. Definitely. Okay, so... Uh, Today, again, I've got Rob Beckman on with me, and he is the host of the new Firearm Trainers podcast, which is just launched. Uh, it is technically available. In fact, you can go to firearmtrainerspodcast.com, and you'll see episodes there listed. Uh, it's already, I believe, in the Google Play Store. Yes, and it, it is. And it's in a few other places as well. But 
it hasn't yet quite gone live on Apple uh, iTunes uh, podcasts. And uh, that's just because that's the nature of Apple. And as I kind of teased earlier, if, if Andrew, or if, not Andrew, but if Jacob was here, he'd, he'd really let you all have it <laughs> as far as how displeased he is with Apple. Uh, because we, we did submit the podcast last week. It, they tell you it can take anywhere from a couple of days to maybe as long as almost a week uh, once you submit a podcast to them before it actually gets approved and then is actually published on Apple iTunes. And uh, it was submitted, and we got back word yesterday that it was denied for some minor little silly detail and you know just just stupid silly stuff so <laughs> uh, it's been resubmitted and uh, we're hoping any time now any day now uh, could be today it could be tomorrow that it'll go live on iTunes for those of you that uh, preferred and choose to listen to it on iTunes that is kind of the number one place for podcasts that's why it's kind of a big deal Mm-hmm. But uh, just know that there's a good chance by the time folks that are listening only to the audio of this episode of the Concealed Carry Podcast right now today, that it may already be published by the time you know we're saying this. It's just it isn't as of recording this. So we're working on that. We're working very hard to get it out there, and it is disappointing. But <clears throat> it's mo- it's the modern media that we've all got to got to deal with. Yep. So Rob, tell us uh, what was your it was your idea to start this podcast, uh, and I appreciate you coming to. I mean, we've been friends a long time. You've you've been in our instructor network for a long time now, and uh, you came to us and with this idea, uh, Jacob and myself. And hey, guys, I'm thinking of I'd like to start this podcast just about firearm instruction, you know, teaching firearm trainers, and uh, yeah, we were we were we were thrilled about the idea. So, uh, what was your inspiration for it? Well. I've been around firearms 20 plus years now, um, really using them a a lot. Last 10 years, I've been going along and instructing uh, people how to do things. And then about the last five years, I've been a training counselor for the NRA and for United States Concealed Carry Association. And as a training counselor, you're helping people that want to become instructors to earn that certification to know how to teach people, how to put those together. And one of the things I've always done is if, you've, if you're one of my students and you've got a question about where can you shoot at, um, how do I get, uh, you know, market my classes, how do I go along and expand my certifications, any of those kind of questions, you know, I'm a phone call away, email away from, and they can uh, contact me. Well, I'm getting more and more of these as I'm teaching more and more classes every year. Well, it just kind of grew into, I started writing articles to say, Hey, you know, how can you do this? And how can you do that? And then I went along and thought, why not do a podcast, do something where people could go along and a find a format that they could listen to a, a topic and be able to incrementally help people grow businesses. And one of the things I've done or dedicated from a uh, podcast perspective is make sure that I'm not going to be just going along and uh, focused on beginning instructors, you know, trying to get them started off. Not even the instructors that want to put a couple extra uh, seats in, in their classes, butts in the chairs. But I also want to go along and for those experienced instructors, those people that have been around for five or 10 years, how do they stay sharp when you're talking about a changing industry and understanding about how to, how to reach people in teaching how to go along and be active in the community so that they are a positive force out there and they can deal with the uh, issues that come along when you're trying to advertise on the internet, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, Google, YouTube, uh, those types of things, and really try to help out and create a resource that stretch can go to. And that was one of the reasons why I went along and my podcast is going to be 30 minutes focused and it's going to be focused on one topic. We start it, we talk about it, get through the meat of the matter, and then podcast is done. I chose that because it makes it really easy for somebody who wants to listen to it on their way into work at lunch at times like that. And also, if they ever want to go back and say, you know, I remember on the podcast, there was an episode three or four months ago, and I want to listen to it again. Well, some, some podcasts are an hour, some are two hours long. I listen <laughs> to those, and I also know that if you want to go along and get to the middle of where the meat of the matter is that you want to listen to again, it takes a while to find that spot. 
I'm keeping it to half an hour so it can be a very focused, very uh, easy to find on those different topics. I feel like you're critiquing our podcast right now. No, 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 no <laughs> critique on that. I'm, I'm just, it's, it's a different format that I've, that I've yeah. chosen because I know instructors, they come up with, uh, you know, how do I deal with Google? Or yeah. how do I reach those hard to learn uh, students? How do, you know, what do I need to do from a legal perspective to, or to make sure that I'm not perpetuating a bunch of myths? And, you know, those topics were, those are just some of the first ones that we've, that we're releasing right now, the first five, and it makes it quick. Boom, boom, boom. You didn't listen to it. Okay. I'm not going to do the, do that this weekend, or I'm going to go along and make sure in my class, you know, concealed carry class that I'm doing, I'm going to be doing, uh, doing it better all the way around. Good, good stuff, man. You know, a little while back, uh, 20 or 30 episodes ago now, we, well, really, when we changed uh, the format a little bit from our you know, with our Tuesday episodes uh, to splitting up those justified stories from the industry news, from the legislative updates, uh, we recommitted to trying to make sure we keep our podcast to an hour or less, and ideally less. Um, it's still a challenge sometimes, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, today I'm going to do my best to make sure we get done <laughs> on time. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. <clears throat> now, Rob, you've been an instructor for a long time. Uh, you mentioned that you're a, a, a training counselor. Uh, I yes. am as well for USCCA. I'm not an NRA training counselor, uh, but we do share the that that uh, credential on the USCCA side. Uh, I love teaching people. Uh, I love teaching people about guns, about shooting, about technique, about tactics, and I know that you do too. Uh, as an instructor, what do you find to be some of your greatest challenges the greatest challenges from an instructor standpoint is trying to understand where the person's coming from in a lot of lot of uh, cases and and what i'm referring to there is sometimes people aren't gripping the gun the way you want them to well, why aren't they gripping the gun properly? Are there, do they have some dexterity problems in their hands? Is the grip just too big for them? Uh, are they going along? Is this something that they were trained, i.e., like in the law enforcement academy or in the military? And you've got to undo some of that training in order for them to try something different that might work better for them, actually. And that's probably the biggest challenge. The easiest ones are the completely blank slate. I've never picked up a gun before in my life. I know nothing about it. So you can literally say, put in your hand, hold it like this, you know, take and press that trigger nice and smooth at the target. And most of the time they do well. It's the other ones that you've got to go back and say, okay, did you, what'd you learn in the academy? You know, how long has it been since you've been out of the military? Different things like that for people to kind of, for you to understand where the people are coming from and how to, how to reach them the best forward. So there's a, a lot of challenges uh, when it comes yeah. to that, because in a class of 10 or 15 people, you could easily have 10 different people with varying degrees of uh, challenges. Yeah. You know, I see that also just from the perspective of getting students into a class because of what they think they know or the experiences they've already had in the past. I, I, I think that's a thing too. I mean, do you agree as far as, well, I don't know that I really need to pursue uh, more training. Uh, mm-hmm. Some people probably aren't even thinking about it because it's just not something like I, I know there's gun owners that don't even realize that there are civilian instructors teaching fairly advanced stuff uh, because it's just not something that crosses their mind. That's, you know, really in their worldview of things like, Oh, I grew up shooting guns, you know, and Oh, I was in the military for 20 years. Like, you know, all those things are, you know, bravo, good, good on you. But anybody I know, I mean, like talk to Dave Spaulding for crying out loud, you know, one of the most experienced instructors and shooters in the world. And, you know, we just had him on, uh, on the, uh, Guardian Nation live broadcast uh, not too long ago, and he'll tell you, I don't know everything there is to know. You know, like I'm, you know, I'm still learning. I'm still trying to get better at this, right? So, so the point there is that like we all can do better and improve, no matter where we are. And uh, even like I've taken classes, shooting classes for myself that were a review. Like I knew it was going to be basic stuff, right? But because like sometimes that's good just to go back to the basics, just to go through that that routine again of, okay, 
you know, like, let me just go back to ground zero and let me think again about my grip. Let me think again about how I'm, you know, seeing my sights and how I'm putting things on target. Let me think again about the trigger, like the most basic stuff, because Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, even the most basic class I've been in, I still come away going, hmm, I learned some things today. I learned some things about how to be a better shooter today. So, I mean, you got to remind everything builds upon those basics. And that's the one thing you got to have a firm foundation. If you're going to shoot fast, if you're going to move, if you're going to, if you're going to hit the target, you better, you know, better make sure you got the right grip, the right trigger press, all, you know, sight alignment, those three things. If you don't, it's going to be luck if you hit the target. Yeah. Yep. So how, how, what would you say as an instructor and as a training counselor, uh, this is something I wonder about myself, about getting people into classes. <laughs> I know that's a topic that you, that you cover in the Firearm Trainers podcast. Mm-hmm. Well, believe it or not, um, it's, it's been a bit, that's been a big question, uh, that I've imposed just in the last couple of weeks. And the reason for it is because Kentucky went to constitutional carry, Ohio's considering constitutional carry. And the people that are contacting me are like, what are we going to do for classes that, you know, people aren't going to be, uh, needing to come to our classes. And then I remind them that we need to go along and make sure people understand the need for classes because constitutional carry is great. But at the same time, you're still required to go along and follow the law. If you don't know the law, guess what? Constitutional carry just equates to getting to jail faster. If you don't know how to properly use your firearm, constitutional carry just means that you're, you're carrying a, a paperweight on your, on your belt. Um, you need to go to the classes. So like you said, you got the proper grip, you got the proper uh, trigger press, tr- uh, proper side alignments. And as instructors, we have to switch our thinking from, I'm going to throw a class out there and have people come running in my door come Saturday to take a concealed carry class to going along. And like you said, we need to reach people and say, Hey, being a responsible firearm owner means that we come and we get training on the firearm. We get trained on what we want to do. And also too, that we get trained on law because that's why Andrew Bronco's case of the week is so important. It reminds us all of just how basic the law is. If we don't follow it, we're going to end up in jail. If we do follow it, then, you know, we're in a lot better shape. And those are all things that if we don't think about it properly, we're going to end up doing something we saw on a Hollywood movie someplace and end up uh, in front of a judge saying, well, I didn't think that I'd be anything wrong with me going along to shooting wildly into a crowd. Well, that works in Hollywood. doesn't work in, in real life. Yeah. Now, there's a really interesting uh, point here that I want to ask you about. Uh, a comment from where'd it go again? I scrolled down and then I shouldn't have done that. Um, here it is, Gregory. He says, "If you have a lot of training, could be used against your defense in court." Uh, and I don't know if Andrew's still watching or not. We may have to see if he cares to comment. But uh, what do you say to that, Rob? I would go along and and say it this way i don't believe the amount of training is is the question i believe it's how you apply the training to it so i.e if you go along and you've got training to where you can shoot out to i don't know 25 yards repeatedly boom 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 and you're a marksman with it you're a grandmaster whatever your qualification is but if you go along and all of a sudden start going along and shooting you know defensively out to 25 yards the situation there's going to people are going to crucify you over is were you in imminent harm if they're 25 yards away from you you know i mean that's further you know that that's a pretty good you know stones throw away from you and those are the things to where yes you might have trained at something but the quantity doesn't matter it's how you apply it actually hmm. yeah i know i've heard this thing brought up before this idea of you're trained, you know, like, be careful. You don't want to be, like, too well-trained because that could be used against you. I know I've heard Andrew say this before, and that is that ignorance is not is not a defense, <laughs> right? Like, it's no mm-hmm. different than we should have an understanding of what the laws are regarding self-defense. Uh, ignorance of those laws does not mean that the, the court 
the judge, the jury is going to look at you and go, oh, well, he didn't really know, you know, he didn't know it was bad to, to kill somebody, <laughs> you know, in this circumstance. Like, you killed somebody, you there's a price to pay if you didn't do so uh, just in a justified way, right? If you didn't stay within those five elements of self-defense, if you went outside that, regardless of what you knew or thought you knew, and that's the big, bigger issue, I think. A lot of people think they know the law, and they don't. And that's mm-hmm. a problem. Now, here's a comment from Andrew. Anything, and I've heard him say this before too, anything can be used against you in court. Prosecutors are in it to win. will say almost anything. What matters is how much damage it can do and how effectively that damage can be mitigated. Sound training, soundly employed, is not going to hurt you in any meaningful way. Bad training or Good training ignored very well might hurt a great deal. And that's, I, that's really well said. Like his follow-up to it. Um, what's the alternative? Don't get trained. And that's idiot. You know, that's just an idiot there who doesn't get any training at all. And how much is too much is two, three, four, too much, you know, 20, 30, or is it over a hundred? Uh, you know, when I talked to Dave Spaulding, he's got, uh, five pages of trainings, you know, single spaced yeah. and you go along and think, you know, somebody from his perspective, you know, is, does he, is, how could you consider him overtrained, uh, in some situations like that? It's like what Andrew said, you know, good, you know, sound training. That's, a, that's a soundly employed, good, bad training or train, good training. That's ignored. I think yeah. that's, that'll be what hurts you. And this is another great point from Andrew, not getting trained for the physical fight just increases the prospects of losing that fight. Not not getting trained for the legal fight just increases the prospects of getting convicted. Sounds like a lose-lose to me. And that's a, that's another great point. Like you may never even get to the courtroom in the first place it, because you failed to obtain training and so you just sucked and you lost that gunfight. Mm-hmm. You died. Like you know well, <laughs> or you know what I what I would say, you know, going along and being prepared for the physical fight. If you if you are in such a shape that you can't physically defend yourself, you don't have open hand skills, you can't run away, say. Um, you know, that means that your only option might be to use a gun. And that's where when you come when you think about training, it's not a I've got to be able to hit a bullseye at hundred yards. It's that I've got to be able to defensively use my firearm, but I also have to know my verbal judo skills on how to mm-hmm. uh, de-escalate a situation. I need to know how to do some basic trauma care, you know, in, in case I get injured or somebody else I'm with trauma care and I need to go along and make good decisions. Um, you know, you don't go out 2 a.m. in the morning. You know, that's just a stupid time to go out looking for trouble. That's when all the trouble happens. And that's where making sound decisions will get you, will save you more, more trouble than anything else. Yep. Yep. Andrew says we should have just had him on the show. Well, all right. I guess it's enough, you know, asking Andrew questions through the chat here. Um, <laughs> so here's a, here's another interesting thing to, to consider, I think. And Alfonso asks, so how much training is too much? Is there such a no. thing? When the bank account can't handle it, I think it's probably uh, too much. But um, every training that I've gone to, similar to what you just said, Riley, with uh, even taking some basic training, you go along and, and get reminded of all those basics that you need to deploy to properly do something. Yeah. I take firearm. I take uh, trauma uh, medicine. Uh, obviously, I, I stay up on the, on the legal uh, parts of it through Andrew's website and different things. There's a lot of good resources out there uh, in order to stay up to date. And there's so many different dynamics that are uh, around constantly that we need to be updated and be aware of uh, you know where i am in cincinnati we're right by indiana kentucky well i can be completely 100 sound on ohio law and all of a sudden i travel 10 minutes and i'm in another state well i need to be aware of those laws if i go on vacation i need to understand what the laws between ohio and florida or you know wherever i'm going and those are all things that i need I, as a responsible gun owner, concealed carry holder, need to go along and stay on top of. Yeah. You know, ignorance of the law, like you said, is not an excuse. If I'm over in Pennsylvania saying, hey, I didn't realize I couldn't do that because they'll say, well, that's no excuse. 
you know, spend the night in jail and however many thousands of dollars it takes me to defend myself and retain a lawyer and things like that. Yeah. Yep. Now, uh, here's a question. One thing that I think does hold people back from pursuing additional training is cost. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, and that's, that is certainly something that for 99 plus percent of us is, is probably an issue, you know, that we'd all love to probably do some of these things, but, uh, you know, it costs money, the, the training itself, paying the instructor, then there's ammunition cost. There may be travel costs involved. Uh, mm-hmm. and sometimes these courses might be where we need to take a day or two off from work, which that again costs money, uh, right. Uh, potentially. Right. So, uh, so all those, you know, things come into play as far as cost. I think, there's a lot of people that just go, oh, you know, $500 for a two day class. Like, are you kidding me? Like, why would I do that? Uh, but you know, what would your response be to that as far as both, how do we justify the cost of training? And also, uh, maybe what are some ideas you have about someone that has somewhat of a limited income, but they want to get training? Like, do you have any ideas about how they might go about, you know, working towards that? Well, I think if the person does some research on the internet, they could probably find classes that are closer to them so they don't have the overnight and they don't have, uh, um, you know, the travel costs associated with it. When it comes to going, going along and the cost of the expense of a course, a lot of times the more advanced courses cost more. Um, you know, you're going to do a force on force, low light type of course. Sounds really cool. They're really neat to be able to train with. But at the end of the day, um, what you've got to, think about is what are you what are the basics that that course is going to going to reinforce with you and that's where maybe instead of doing a 500 force on force uh nighttime shoot shoot house type of course maybe you should just go back and go through your 150 or 200 local guy who'll go through similar skills and has other ways to um, go go along mitigate it. One of the things that we do in our class, because I don't have a shoot house available to me, is we actually use welding go- goggles in the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. If you ever wear those in the middle of the day, you realize that that puts a very low light simulation into how you're viewing things. You don't have the ability to look around you easily. The sights in your guns are harder. And that saves you on cost because I don't have the overhead of having a shoot house to, to be able to you know afford and pay for. And th- that's where... There's, there's all kinds of courses running from $100 on the low end, probably to a couple thousand dollars uh, on the high end that are anywhere from in your backyard all the way out to, you know, Nevada and places like that. You can spend a lot of money. Uh, they all do. Yeah. They all provide you with something. But at the, at the end of the day, don't get, don't get caught up in all the marketing glitz sometimes just because they can send you an email every day to get you to come out to their site. Think about what you're, you're trying to learn. And once you go along and you've got a target on what you want to learn, it's a lot easier to go along and say, net, net. Okay. This is the one that's going to work for me. And look, it's only an hour drive from my house, which means I don't have to take the weekend off. I don't have to go along and uh, pay for lodging or anything else like that. Yeah. Yeah, good, good stuff, man. Uh, yeah, definitely look locally. Um, now, one thing that I, I think a challenge that that presents sometimes is knowing whether some of that local training or those local instructors really know what they're doing. Uh, keep in mind, I mean, there's over a hundred thousand uh, NRA instructors out mm-hmm. there. Uh, how many of those are what I would consider, you know, quality instructors? It's it's a fraction. Uh, because it's not a high bar to go and become an NRA instructor, nor is it even necessarily the, the, that way for a USCCA instructor. I think the USCCA program is a little better, uh, actually probably quite a bit better, but but you know it's not a high bar necessarily, right? I remember from my NRA instructor course, my you know, very first time becoming an instructor, going through a course, uh, I was at the time not the most experienced instructor mm-hmm. in, you know, at all, but I was a little bit appalled by some of those that, that were with me in that course. <laughs> um, yep. So, you know, what would you say about vetting instructors in your local area and knowing that the training you're getting is is good? Well, I think it comes down to a couple things. One, 
talk to other people that have taken their courses. Uh, you get feedback. Uh, look at their references. If somebody has, and they are just NRA pistol certified, and they're trying to teach you an advanced class, okay, NRA pistol instructor is not an advanced certification. So they, they are not teaching you uh, an advanced curriculum or anything along those lines for it. Uh, one of the things I think, you know, that is a real good resource to do is check out the concealedcarry.com website and for their training classes because to be on the, on the concealed carry uh, website, you're going through a vetting process. They're going along and looking and seeing what your experience is, making sure you know, you've got good uh, client feedback, all those types of things. And that gives you some additional uh, you know, confidence in who you're scheduling classes with because let's put it this way. I don't want to put $100 out to a class that is worthless. Uh, at the same time, uh, I don't want to be traveling someplace if I can just stay local and get the same quality of class because uh, I've got a quality instructor in my backyard. Yeah. Good, good thoughts there. Uh, and by the way, folks, uh, you mentioned it a little bit, uh, you, you can check our site. You can go to class.concealedcarry.com and find classes uh, in various parts of the country. We have instructors all over the place, uh, not everywhere, but we're working on it. We're working on adding more instructors to that network. Uh, it, it is challenging because we do want quality instructors and, uh, yeah, you know, and honestly to, to speak truthfully, I don't know if you've seen this this year, Rob, but I feel like there's been a little bit of a downturn in, in business as an instructor in the last, uh, six months, especially eight months, maybe in the last year. And, and that makes it challenging. It makes it challenging because you want to put on classes, but you can't really put on classes or list classes if you're not going to get people to show up. I've had to cancel a couple of classes uh, in recent history, and, and it's always a bummer uh, mm -hmm. to me, you know. So, you know, I, yeah, check check our site, class.concealedcarry.com. Uh, you can also see... When you go there, you'll see uh, there's a, there's a link or a button you can push for students, for people looking for training, and there's also one for instructors that are looking to maybe join our instructor network, for instance. Uh, so you can you can look into that, and you can see also the process uh, that we go through with instructors to bring them on board and the vetting process and all of that. And I would also remind people, if you're interested in a, in a course, and this is coming from the instructor side of things, don't wait till last minute re register for it because me as an instructor, I'm looking at it a week, two weeks out saying, okay, if I don't get at least this many people, I'm going to cancel it for uh, Sunday, you know, a week yeah. beforehand and hearing you a week or two later say, oh, I would have went to that, but you canceled it on me. Well, you might've been the difference between having the class and not having yeah. the class and waiting until the very last minute to register for the class uh, makes it challenging. Yeah, it that, really that, is, that is true. Uh, I kind of took a break from teaching basic concealed carry courses there for a while, uh, partly because I got really busy with some other things and projects and whatnot, uh, partly because I was having a hard time filling those classes, which was really disappointing to see. Uh, and I've, I've started getting back into teaching those. I just had to cancel one last week, though, because I just had like two people. And even for a basic concealed carry course, like I, I can't. I just, it, I don't have that kind of time, you know, for that kind of money. Unfortunately, I wish I could, I wish I could say I'm, I'm awesome enough to be like, I just volunteer my time. Like, you know, I don't actually know of some instructors that teach basic CCW courses for free. Uh, and that just, I mean, wow, good, good on you guys. Like more power to you. Uh, Unfortunately, this is we my all do that. Yeah, this is my livelihood. You know, being an instructor, uh, doing what we do here at concealedcarry.com. Anyway, it was uh, it was it was too bad to have to. I hate I hate doing that. I oh, it just drives me crazy. Like I always like I get like a pit in my stomach. Oh, I got to cancel a class. You know, just anyway. Um, cool. So now let's talk just real quick about the podcast itself, the Firearm Trainers Podcast. Some of the guests you've already interviewed, because you've already interviewed a number of people, and those may not all be published just yet, right? But right. you've interviewed a number of uh, pretty reputable people, instructors in the industry. Who who are some of the guests you've had on the show already? Uh, some of the people that we've already got out there. Uh, we've got Dave Spalding um, talk, talking about uh, dogmatic instruction 
you know, really digging into why instructors really need to understand what they're teaching and not just say it because that's what's in the book type of uh, instruction. Also had uh, Andrew Bronca on. Andrew was talking about three legal myths that instructors keep perpetuating mm. and what we should do to stay away from those. Um, really great conversation with Andrew and the quality of the, that, just what we saw with the case of the week. We had uh, Ken Hackathorne and Ken, with his experience, had a really great topic. And that is, are we delivering what our students need or what mm. they want? There again, mm. are we being flashy and, and shooting a thousand rounds in one class? Or are we going along and having them shoot 200 or 300 rounds very uh, definitively so they build those skills so they can go along because you'll never have it be in a gunfight and shoot a thousand rounds. So the point of shooting a thousand rounds isn't really beneficial. The point is go along, and make sure you've applying those skills properly in what the students need. And, and there are, there are people that want to go along and just, you know, have all the trigger time they can in the world, but what they learn. And those are the questions they've got to ask themselves. And then we also had uh, Jeff Gonzalez uh, talking about adult learning theory but how do you go along and really connect with people so they understand what they're doing and they can be successful when they walk away? Because when you're, when they come to you and they're in your training class, they're really trying to get information and there's no way they can walk away, be able to execute those exercises 100% perfectly. But if we go along and tra train them properly so they understand how they should be ex executing those exercises, we've made uh, big inroads for it. And then the last one that uh, we're, we're releasing this week is why aren't students seeing you in their seats? And that's actually with Jacob Paulson. And that's for those instructors out there wondering, how do I get my website to show up higher on Google search results? How do I go along and be that first website when somebody types in concealed carry for their city? And again, we're taking this from an instructor standpoint of saying, what are the issues that instructors have? And just like you were talking about getting butts in the seats, going along and understanding legal issues, understanding how to connect with people on it and really making our classes the most um, productive as possible. Because in the end, what we're trying to do is for us to make our instructors as uh, efficient as possible so that our students learn as the the absolute most from the, from the classes. If our students don't learn, then we're just wasting our time and their money. Yeah. Now you're an experienced instructor, Rob. You've been doing this for a lot of years now. A couple of years now. Well, <laughs> <laughs> out of these interviews you've done so far, can you pin on one thing that you heard from any of these guys that you just went, Oh, wow. Like, gosh, wish I knew that, you know, five, 10, 15 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, actually this first five, I wish I would have known 10 years ago when I first started out because I can, I can say a lot of the stuff they covered are, are different things that I've learned along the way, but it's been a 10 year uh, journey. And that's where with the podcast, trying to make that journey for new instructors a little bit more efficient to where, Hey, you know, I can li listen. That's three hours worth of podcasts. They can listen right there and gain 10 years worth of experience in three hours, basically, and not make all the mistakes I've made over that, over that time frame and trying to teach students, trying to the legal mess, trying to give the students what they need really more than what they maybe all the flash, uh, flash they want to have when it comes to training. So it's, uh, all those things are, are really good things. And that's where I'm looking at this completely from what do I want to learn about as an instructor in thinking topics. Um, we've gone along and, and are asking people if they've got ideas for topics to email them to us. Um, it's the email address is ftp at concealedcarry.com. And we're going to start a backlog because I want to make sure that we're getting topics that are interesting to people. And if we don't hit the the mark 100% similar to like the, you know, why aren't students uh, butts in their seats with Jacob? We made that just Google specific. We know that we overlooked the, the YouTube, we overlooked the uh, Facebook, all those kind of advertising kind of issues. But guess what? That's why we're making it 30 minutes because we're going to come back around and revisit what's it take to put videos on YouTube that are firearm related. What are the alternatives to it? 
and then coming back and say, okay, how do you get ads approved for concealed carry courses on Facebook? All those kind of things so that people, again, if they want to look, listen to how to do Facebook, they can look at that episode, 30 minutes, boom, they've got themselves a, uh, some answers and some uh, direction on where to go with it. Nice. That's uh, I think that's a great place to sort of begin wrapping this up. So uh, uh, good words uh, there, Rob. And I and props to you, buddy, buddy, for the idea to start this podcast and for organizing and and driving this and and really just jumping in and leading the charge. Uh, we're excited to have the Firearm Trainers podcast as part of the ConcealedCarry.com network of shows. Uh, we're excited to see where this goes and how it grows and where it leads us and you. And uh, most importantly, we're excited about hopefully what will become a really important resource to many instructors out there in the industry that I think this is going to fill a really important niche in the podcast world because there's not really anything quite like this podcast out there's there. There's nothing dedicated to instructors out there currently. I mean, yeah. there are instructor topics that are covered from time to time in different uh, podcasts, you know, Concealed Carry and others, but there's nothing to where an instructor can go along and listen to episode one and continue listening through to her. Ha! Ah, I got to. Re- I got to think about doing that in my next class. Or ah, that's why I'll get more people next time by advertising along those lines. Or you know, here's some legal things that people need to. I need to stay away from so that I'm you know st- my students stay safe in what I'm teaching them. Yeah. So there's there's it, it's been a real fun. It was going to be a labor of love, and now it's just uh, grown to a lot more than I ever expected it to over the last couple of months. Yep. Yep. Cool, man. All right. So, folks, go check out the Farm Trainers podcast. Uh, If you think uh, that this is up your alley, well, it probably is. So, uh, again, you can use your favorite podcast uh, app. Uh, There's a variety of them. Uh, uh, Overcast, Podcast Addict, uh, Podbean, uh, Spotify. We're on Spotify. This podcast, well, this one may not be. Spotify has an application process, but it'll be on Spotify probably pretty soon. Um. What else? Uh, of course, you can listen in the Concealed Carry Gun Tools app to the Concealed Carry podcast. And I presume that we'll add Firearm Trainers podcast to the app very shortly as well. So that'll be really cool. That, that's, that's in the plans. Yep, absolutely. So so lots of ways. And of course, you can use your native uh, Google Play app on if you're an Android device user. Or you can use the podcast app on iPhone, although not quite yet but very 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 soon hopefully here today or tomorrow it'll officially be approved and go live on uh, itunes so knock on wood and we'll when that goes live we'll be pushing it out through social media and different avenues along those lines because uh, obviously i think there's a great need you think there's a great need out there and we want to make sure we're reaching as many instructors as possible to get this kind of information out there and get them thinking how they can do the best job for their students because it is about the students. Yeah. Great, man. We wish you the best of luck. And uh, I look forward to being a guest on your show soon. <laughs> well, it's in the works, Riley. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a rat race the last uh, couple of weeks, but it's, uh, well, it's, you are the one of the, one of the upcoming guests. <laughs> the same here on my end as well. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, that brings us to, we need to pick a winner for the weekly giveaway. You ready to uh, help me out with this, uh, Mr. John Goodman? I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm sure many people listening are like, my goodness, it sounds like John Goodman. John Goodman and guns. Like, that's that's pretty hard to, you know... uh, (laughs) There's there's been one comment about that I saw already, so... I picked that up early on. (laughs) All right. So it is time for the weekly giveaway. Now, how do you sign up for the weekly giveaways? Go to concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize and make sure you sign up each and every week because it's a revolving door of entries, okay? From Tuesday through Monday, the following Monday night at midnight, that's when it ends each week. You have the opportunity to go to that site, click on on the sign up. Uh, or entry form, get all signed up, share it with your friends and family for extra entries, and then you're signed up for the weekly giveaway, all right? And it's open and and available to everybody, and that's who we're going to pick right now is this week's weekly giveaway winner, which for this week is for a 25-pack of targets, the peel-and-stick or adhesive reactive targets that we sell 
AtkinsHillCarry.com, our own Target set uh, that we sell. We're really proud of. So 25-pack of Targets. Weekly giveaway winner. I'm about to pull the name right now. You need to let me know. It's time to hit the uh, drum roll, Rob. Drum roll, please. <laughs> it is not. Pl- oh, no, it's not working. What happened? Ah, oh, hold on. We, we got to get because I'm so proud of this uh, custom drum roll. Here we go. One more time. <laughs> there we go. And this week's winner is John D, as in Delta. Uh, John D, he has an email address that includes the words, I don't trust you. <laughs> so chances are, John D, you recognize uh, that this is who you are, and uh, you are the lucky winner. I'll be emailing you personally and letting you know that so that we, you know, either you don't, maybe you didn't hear it here on the podcast, but I hope you do, because that's going to be really cool and exciting for you to hear your name called out. But I'll be sending you an email as well, letting you know that you've won a 25-pack of concealedcarry.com adhesive reactive targets. So congrats, John. And thanks to everybody else that uh, signed up this week. And I'm sorry if you did not win, but there's always a chance to win more. Uh, next week's giveaway hasn't gone live yet. I'm a little behind the ball on that, uh, but I'll get that up here very shortly. And uh, and then also every Thursday, we do a special giveaway for Facebook Live viewers. And so if you have the chance to tune in on at 12 noon on Thursdays, 12 noon mountain time that is, then you also have another chance to win some great prizes. So there you go. And so uh, again, check out the Farm Trainers podcast. Uh, And don't forget that all this week you can save 15% off of holsters at concealedcarry.com. And don't forget to uh, listen and and enjoy the words of wisdom from Rob Beckman. Uh, We appreciate you, sir, for being with us on on the show here today. Well, thank you. So, folks, with that, we're going to wrap it up, let you go. A reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.